Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 75, recorded on June 10th, 2020. The Cloud Pod deletes everything, but keeps copies. Hey guys, how's it going this evening? It is good. So happy that it's almost the end of the week. And, uh, ah. Yeah, it's been a week. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I wish it was Friday and Monday. So yeah, by by Thursday, it's like. Uh. Well, and my my ever every day is Schmurz day. Um, I don't actually know when the weekends are anymore, and it's it's getting a bit bothersome. But uh, where in the world is uh, Peter today? I'm here. Hello, I am in Kansas City still, and uh, we are allowed to go to restaurants and bars. So that, that's all coming uh, next week. I hear in San Francisco. Really, I thought. Bars were like August 15th or something. July, July 1st, my birthday. Ah, and then uh, I, think you can, I think you can eat at a restaurant outside, uh, right? I yeah. Think, like around the right. 15th or the 16th, I think. You, you can if you want the 30 mile an hour winds in your face at, at 100 degrees. <laughs> well, I mean, San Francisco is definitely not 100 degrees. But it is not, yes, no. here yeah. where we live, it is very warm. <laughs> it's For been sure. warm all week. Yeah. You, know, you know how the uh, Chinese fortunes, you always like add in bed at the end of every sentence. Yes. I think we should add and get COVID at the end of everything else. <laughs> I'm going go to go to a restaurant went... and get COVID. Yeah. <laughs> I was excited. Disneyland announced they're going to open themselves back up here soon. So I'm like, yes. <laughs> get out of this house. <laughs> I'm still fun. stuck at like the idea of leaving my house, which was already a challenge before all of this. <laughs> right. So, like, it, was, it was a struggle to get you to wear pants at the office. So I, I can't imagine your, your dread. Uh, we did get, you know, we did uh, hear from our employer that we don't get to go back to the office till the fall. So that's a plus. That's good. Let's speak about other employers that maybe aren't doing the best things. Uh, Amazon is suing a former Amazon marketing VP, Brian Hall, uh, after he takes a Google Cloud job. Uh, so apparently he uh, he left in March and joined Google as their new VP of marketing. He had that title at AWS as well. Uh, he apparently uh, had been told when he signed the contract that they wouldn't enforce that, which I'm like, have you seen the track record of Amazon? They've, they've enforced that multiple times. Uh, and so they're basically trying to force him to... Uh, you know, honor his 18 month non-compete agreement with Google and basically told him that he can't work on anything for product marketing at Google, including having him not work on slides or speeches for the upcoming Google next conference in a few weeks. Uh, you know, I, I find this kind of funny because even if he had a visibility into their entire 2021 marketing plan, I, if that plan is still the plan, Amazon, you need to redo it because COVID yeah, has really. changed everything. Yeah. It is. But one of my pet peeves though, when, when, uh, whether it's a customer or a partner or a vendor and we're redlining a contract and I'm like, we don't want this in there. And they're like, Oh, don't worry. Just sign it as is. We, we won't enforce that. Yeah. yeah. Only what's written. No. On the paper. Yeah, if, 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 if you don't mean it, then just take it out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, he's, he was saying that he would never have signed it if they told him he was going to be enforced. And then he also pointed out that his boss at the time, uh, you know, basically told him they wouldn't enforce it. But then she left to go to Oracle in January, which we talked about here on the show. Uh, but of course, she wasn't sued because she's in California, where non competes are not allowed. Yeah. So, uh, and he's unfortunately in Washington, which has much different uh, anti competitive laws. Yeah, I feel on both sides of this because on one hand, like don't sign something that you don't agree with, but on the other hand, like you know, Amazon has while they do enforce this, they're not consistent about enforcing this, and I think that's largely what's going to do them in in this lawsuit. Yep. Yep. Well, we will see what happens with that one. Uh, you know, we we talked about the one that happened last year with the uh, I think it was a sales executive who uh, had went went off to somewhere else, and I think that got settled out of court uh, for some some you know something 
whatever. But anyways, uh, so, you know, I have a common joke here on the show about Chime and the lack of users of Chime. Uh, and so last week, hell froze over when Slack announced that they are partnering with Amazon Web Services. Uh, and so I, you know, initially I thought this was just, oh, this is a, you know, we're going all in on AWS story. Uh, then you, you read a little further and you find out that they're going to be moving their entire Slack call capability for voice, audio, and video to Amazon Chime. Yeah. And now all of a sudden the Chime SDK makes all the sense in the world. Even Amazon don't want to use Chime. What a, what a marketing piece. (laughs) (laughs) In part of this deal, they also will be maintaining Amazon Web Services as its preferred cloud vendor. Uh, and we'll continue to range, use a range of its services while Amazon Web Services has promised to adopt Slack for its own Teams communications, which is a pretty big customer for Slack. So I see the the uh, benefit of both of that. A uh, friend of the show, Corey Quinn, snagged an interview with the GM of Chime, Sid Rao, uh, on his Screaming in the Cloud podcast. So if you would like to get some inside baseball uh, on this whole deal, you can hear directly from the man himself at Chime uh, on Corey's podcast. I wish they just bought them. Because then at least I would have had some redemption from my predictions from last year. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, I was kind of thinking about it and I was like, I wonder if they were going to buy them. Yeah. And then COVID happened and Slack's revenues went through the roof and all of a sudden right. it became too expensive. Yeah. And so they're like, what, what's the best, best thing we can do? <laughs> and this is kind of where they got to until, you know, you know the market recovers or, or Slack has some other issue. You know, Slack also announced their earnings, which were crazy high for Q1. Uh, although they were beat up a little bit in the market for having bad forecasts for Q2, which I don't understand. I'm like, it's going to be good. <laughs> like, Come on. <laughs> it's going to be good, and it's incredibly hard to predict. So given That means it's time today, to buy. Yeah. yeah. Time to buy. Bye, bye, bye. So uh, it was hard to see uh, Chime capabilities inside of Slack. And uh, so the Chime all of a sudden has probably their biggest customer, uh, which would be really interesting to see how that kind of evolves over time. And, and you know, does Slack chat or sorry, Chime chat uh, kind of go away in favor of just becoming a video conferencing solution? That'd be kind of interesting to see, too. Well, uh, Rackspace uh, has changed its name uh, to Rackspace Technology. So you know, it's a big, big jump. Uh, and I thought this was a little bit funny just because, you know, they've been going through some interesting transitions from being a, a managed service provider that charges you way too much money for servers to a you know technology service provider who charges you way too much money for advice. Uh, and, of course, their CEO says their new name, mission, and multi-cloud solutions better represent the full value we bring to the market. Our mission is simple. Embrace technology, empower customers, and deliver the future. And I look forward to whenever we have conferences again to see their massively overly expensive booths. With Rackspace technology. It makes sense. I mean, nobody wants to buy Rackspace anymore. They want to buy the technology that the Rackspace provides. So I, I kind of get I kind of get the sentiment, but... Eh. <laughs> How do you not make the parallel? How do you not make the parallel with Tower Records when CDs came out, changing their name to Tower? And it was like, hey, it lasted a little bit, but eventually the buggy whip goes away. <laughs> I mean, they are owned by PE firm, Apollo Management. So we'll see... You know, this is all part of their rebranding and and probably exiting some of these less profitable business for them and focus on managed services in a big way. See what they do and uh, kind of where they go from there. But they uh, they've been you know beating around the office quite a bit trying to get business from us even. So it's a bit crazy. I bet. Oh, uh, AWS uh, has released a couple of new instance families for us this week. Uh, Amazon EC2 C5A instances powered by the second gen AMD Epic processors. Uh, these are the second-gen AMD Epic processors running at frequencies up to 3.3 gigahertz. Uh, they're available to you in eight sizes, including C5A Large through C5A24X Large. Just rolls right off the tongue. Uh, and soon you'll also have a C5AD variant, which gives you the local NVMe storage. And a bare metal instance will be coming as well. 
Uh, C5A large will cost you about $56.21 per month, and a C5A 24X large, a cool $2,698 per month. Wow. Now you two can run huge Cassandra clusters. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, 10% cheaper than the Intel counterpart, so at least yep. get that going for you. Mm. And then the other uh, exciting one is not exciting for me because this is very much directed at a machine learning AI use case, which is the new G4 DN bare metal instance. Uh, these are available with up to eight NVIDIA T4 GPUs and Amazon's custom generational Intel Xeon scalable processors, 100 gigabits of networking throughput, and 1.8 terabytes of local NVMe storage, all for the cool price of $5,711 per month. So all I've learned is that with the machine learning that I do, which isn't a terrible amount, but I'm definitely not doing anything cool enough to need this instance. And so I need to find <laughs> cooler machine learning to work on. I was just listening to the last episode that got published and you were you were talking how much you love BigQuery and you don't need this. You have BigQuery. So it's true. Yeah. It's true. Most of my stuff is not. It does not require the scale. Uh, well, you know, the other thing we've talked about on the show a little bit is the open distro for Elasticsearch and uh, some of its capabilities that didn't exist in the Amazon Elasticsearch service. Uh, and they have announced uh, three features this week. One we saved for the lightning round for later. Uh, but the first two uh, are very much uh, XPack features that are now in open distro that have now made their ways to Elasticsearch, which means that they are now using open distro as well, uh, I suspect, under the hood. The first one is the Amazon Elasticsearch now supports SQL Workbench and SQL CLI to run queries on Elasticsearch indexes. With a conventional and familiar database language, uh, SQL Workbench is integrated with Kibana to view the results of SQL queries and uh, supports up to 40 SQL functions today, data types and commands to jQuery uh, your domains. With a newly added support for joins, subqueries, cursors, and functions, you can leverage SQL Workbench's Visual Console and SQL CLI. So there you go. All available to you in your ES clusters that are 7.4 and newer on AWS. The guy who invented SQL must be so proud. <laughs> we just can't get away from it. Every, invent new technologies, and then it's like, can we just bolt SQL on top of this? That's, I just want SQL. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of SQL on top of Elasticsearch, because while, yeah. while the query language isn't that hard, it, uh, sometimes I just want a very simple you know, SQL select and, fo- and uh, join. OG is what it is. They were all in on that with the whole partial thing, though, using SQL to query all kinds of different stuff. Yeah, they are definitely all over that. I mean, as much as we talked about NoSQL as being this big movement, uh, the funny thing was everyone just built SQL layers inside their app code. <laughs> right. And then just, you know, it was like, why, why are you doing this? You can just use a real SQL server to do this function. Well, NoSQL had a lot to do with the data structures themselves, right? Like the yes. things that, and so like it's the query language everyone still really wants, but like this giant database they have to query, they don't. So it's, well, it's, have, it's yeah. funny. Rebuilding indexes and all the other stuff that went along with it became impossible at certain scales. Yet we seem to spend half a day every day rebuilding Elasticsearch indexes. So, yeah, maybe it's not quite <laughs> what it was meant yeah. to be. <laughs> yeah, just because there was a problem doesn't mean that was the solution. And the other Elasticsearch feature we uh, say for the main show is the real-time anomaly detection, uh, which uses the Elasticsearch ML capabilities. Uh, this anomaly detection, which uses machine learning to detect anomalies on real-time streaming data and identifies issues as they evolve so you can mitigate them immediately. Uh, this uses a random cut forest algorithm, or RCF, which is a proven algorithm for real-time streaming and a domain agnostic, uh, making a great choice for a wide range of log analytic applications. Uh, static rule-based analytics approaches struggle to adapt to dynamic workloads and are prone to miscritical issues. Uh, this is available to you also in the Kibana interface on your Elasticsearch 7.4 cluster. Shh. Well, I mean, I would figure this <laughs> over your head. <laughs> 
what? We want AI. We want AI. We want to do AI. This is, I'm assuming this is for our, our like alerts, right? Configuring alerts on. EOS. Yeah, like you know, discrepancies. You know, the server is normally at forty percent CPU, and then today, for some reason, it's jumped to sixty percent CPU. That's an anomaly. Uh, that you know, your rudimentary fifty percent CPU might not have caught in the right way or something else, and so they're telling you that this system is now outside of normal operating parameters. It's a, it's a bit of a stretch to call that a machine learning uh, work use case, but uh, I get it. <laughs> That's Everyone else is doing it. So, yeah. you know, may as well. Like, you know, Amazon's doing it with CloudWatch. Uh, Google's doing it as well. Like, and it's just one of those things that all this is doing is getting us away from setting thresholds for monitoring, which is pretty good. I'm, yeah, I'm all for I mean, that. I hate thresholds for monitoring, so I, I appreciate yeah. this. Yeah. I feel bad for the guy who thinks that that's his uh, expertise, but yeah, I don't want to do that either. Amazon Reshift uh, now supports writing to external tables in Amazon S3, which, again, continues to clearly and loudly broadcast that something is coming <laughs> for Snowflake. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is a warm summer breeze heading in that direction, and I don't know what it is yet. Uh, but you can now write the results of an Amazon Redshift query to an external table in Amazon S3, either in text or Apache Parquet format. This external table metadata will be automatically updated and can be stored in Glue, AWS Lake Formation, and or your Hive Metastore data catalog. Uh, this enables you to easily share your data in the data lake and have it immediately available for analysis with Amazon Redshift Spectrum and other AWS services such as Amazon Athena, EMR, and SageMaker. Uh, this is as simple as running a select query with a create external table as select. So there you go. If they're announcing all these things about Redshift, like like they're announcing all the functionality I would expect for them to announce as part of a major service. So like, what are they actually going to announce? I'm so far away from understanding what it's going to be, <laughs> which is great. Um, cause I shouldn't be the, the, you know, I shouldn't be the one to dictate what that is or know it. But the other thing is, is like, wait, they're storing this in glue. Like I've clearly misunderstood what glue is for, <laughs> Well, just the metadata, right? <laughs> just the metadata. Nothing should be stored in glue. <laughs> Glue's, yeah, I don't get it. I do think it's cool though. When they, when they tightly integrate all the services that people always use together, because then even when, even if any of the services aren't best in class, uh, together, they make a really compelling value prop, and um, that's why people want to end up on a platform. I'm so going for serverless Redshift. Serverless Redshift, I think. It has to be coming. It, yeah. has, it has to, to be. be. Yeah, and everything they're doing here tells me that something's coming. Um, and, you know, and again, knowing that they, they really don't want Snowflake taking on all the Redshift business they've got, I think that's the play is going to be something in that space. But we'll see what it looks like when it comes out. Amazon Direct Connect now enables you to do failover testing. Uh, if you're paying ungodly amounts of uh, money for direct connectivity to Amazon Web Services, you might want to be able to test that resiliency, uh, which you were unable to do prior to this. Uh, the failover testing enables customers to test resiliency by disabling one or more BGP sessions using the console, CLI, or Direct Connect API. Now, if you see that it says Direct Connect API and you say to yourself, hey, I could do chaos engineering with this. I'm going to tell you right now, please don't do that. BGP is not a good choice for this. Just <laughs> test it when you want to and make sure you have someone monitoring it when it happens. And I, I will amend that to not test when you want to, test when you have to. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Who wants to? Yeah, nobody wants yeah. yeah. Oh, great, I never have to test. I don't want to ever. Yeah, and then one of the features is you can also shut down the BGP session for as long as you'd like to with the configuration time period, and that number should be as low as it could possibly be. <laughs> Uh, but they did say you can cancel it. Of course, that means that you you can get to your single sign-on that you just cut off with BGP. So, you know, you do hope that that canceling uh, is still available to you in some way uh, with your single sign-on to your console. It's not down, too. So just really think this through. I'm just telling you right now. You could do a, a break glass, like a Lambda function that 
is going that you have to that is going to run every 30 seconds and that you have to continually stop from running yeah dead man switch yeah, yeah. if you don't detect my heartbeat yeah <laughs> cancel this. Yeah, it's a cancel well, moving on to uh, other interesting backup solutions, Azure Files has uh, provided some enhanced data protection capabilities uh, to protect your data, ensuring it's high available, backed up, and recoverable. And the first one of those is a soft delete, or as they like to call it, a recycle bin. <laughs> I, I didn't hear any applause, guys. A recycle bin. Come on. Who doesn't want a recycle bin in their NAS? Hello, uh, Win- Hello Windows 95. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The Soft Delete protects your Azure file shares from accidental deletion. To this end, we're announcing the preview of Soft Delete for Azure file shares. When a file share is deleted, it's transitioned to a soft deleted state in a form of a soft deleted snapshot. Uh, and of course, they do recommend that you turn this on for all of your shares, especially because they charge you for those snapshots. Uh, and snapshot backs or uh, snapshot backups you can restore from uh, is another feature they released, which I'm kind of shocked that didn't already happen. Like you couldn't restore from a snapshot. What are you, what are you really announcing here? Yeah. And then they also give you uh, lots of Dune data redundancy and replication capabilities and access controls uh, for all of these snapshots and soft data shares. So, uh, you know, overall, uh, you know, Azure takes a lot to wow me. This one, sorry, I'm not wowed. I especially like being able to delete stuff and still pay for it. Yeah, it's, it's super nice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I just can't get that Seinfeld episode out of my head. You know how to take the backup. You don't know how to restore the backup. <laughs> Eventually, we'll figure it out. It's fine. Yeah. Well, Azure uh, Firewall uh, is a firewall as a service, if you didn't know this, called a FWAS, <laughs> offering that allows you to centrally govern and log all your traffic flows using a DevOps approach. Uh, they have two new features for the Amazon Azure Firewall uh, that allow you to basically force tunneling, uh, leverage SQL FD- FQDN filtering, and increase your limits for multiple public IP addresses from 100 to 250 for both destination network address translation and source network address translation. Uh, so the first one, of course, these force tunneling uh, lets you redirect all internet-bound traffic from Azure Firewall to your on-premises firewall, or to a chain, or to chain it to a nearby network virtual appliance or NVA for additional inspection. All your security people rejoice. Uh, to support force tunneling, service management traffic is separated from customer traffic, and this requires additional dedicated subnet named the Azure Firewall Management Subnet. Super creative, uh, and is required with its own associated public IP address. Uh, this automatically snaps your traffic and handles all of the capabilities for your NVA and/or on-premise firewall. Uh, so your your security team who'd love to be able to inspect all that traffic leaving Azure, they now have a way to do it. It's a great feature, but but the fact that a subnet has been named a certain thing is just really janky. Like you should be able I to was, you should be able to create whichever subnet you like and and configure it to use the subnet that you like, right? Yeah, and how is it any different from just a route table? I mean, as as the man who asked for every every prediction show that he wants an egress firewall proxy, <laughs> you think he'd understand what this would be for? Yeah, <laughs> but it, but it's just, but they're not right. They're not doing the pro- they're not doing it. They're just force tunneling to your other device somewhere else. But I could already do that with route tables. Apart from their own API um, interfaces, right? Oh, their own API. Oh. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like it's like private. Like everything uh, everything leaving your Azure account will now go through this force tunnel. So, if you want to check that Lambda traffic or Azure Function traffic, uh, you have that for you. The other one I was super wild about. Uh, this allows you to limit access from your VNet to only the specified SQL Server instance with the SQL FQDN filtering, uh, which is fully qualified domain for those playing at home. Uh, you can filter traffic from VNets to Azure SQL Database, Azure SQL Data Warehouse, and Azure SQL Managed Instances, or the SQL Infrastructure as a Service instances deployed in your VNet. Uh, I would thought this was available to you as well with a firewall, but, you know, what do I know? But how backwards is it, right? You don't limit your instances' ability to connect to SQL servers. You want to limit people 
people's ability to connect to your SQL Server. Like the protection should be on the SQL Server side, not on the instance side. It seems seems odd. <laughs> it's a little weird. Uh, there's also some confusion too because it said SQL uh, fully qualified domain filtering is currently supported in proxy mode only, or if you're going through port one four three three. Uh, if you use a non-default port for SQL infrastructure as a service, you can configure the host ports from the firewall application rules. So is it is it currently supported only in proxy mode, or is it also support non-default ports? It's a bit confusing. Uh, someone someone's got some work to do on this press release, but here we are. POC time. Indeed. Figured out. <laughs> Moving along to Google, they've introduced table-level access controls in BigQuery. Uh, BigQuery table-level access controls are an important step that enables you to control your data and share it at an even finer granularity. Uh, table ACLs are built on top of Cloud IAM, and this allows you to set least privilege permissions to your tables and combined with the BigQuery column-level security we talked about about a month ago. Helps customers govern data in Google Cloud and maintain regulatory compliance such as GDPR, CCPA, and others. Uh, apparently in the past you could do this with authorized views to control read-only access to tables, uh, but that was very complicated uh, for a single table, and so table ACLs make that much, much simpler for you uh, to now limit this access. So my query is going to fail for permission issues, not just the fact that I've structured them poorly now. Great. <laughs> well, and you also, so not only can your, your query fail for permission issues, but then you get that worked out and then you don't have column level permission to actually see the data. So then you think the query is broken because the query, the column comes back blank and you're like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> but the data, really the data is there. You just can't see it because you don't have permissions. It's a support nightmare. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> Uh, Google has released uh, five new ways to enhance your cloud storage security and data protection. Uh, I was a little bit unplussed with this one, <laughs> but we'll, let's walk through it anyways. Uh, the V4 signature support with cloud storage. Uh, V4 signatures enable customers to generate signed URLs with limited permissions and durations, which they can issue to their clients' users who don't have access to a Google identity. Um, okay, that's the first one. The, uh, the next one is hash-based message authentication, or HAMC. For use of cloud storage service accounts rather than user accounts, strengthening your authentication and security by not having to rely on credentials tied to user accounts. It also allows interoperability amongst multiple cloud vendors with regards to security authentication steps and practices. Because yes, what I love to do is give static access credentials to other clouds to access my Google. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, think about it this way. If you've got an application that's multi, if you're running in a multi-cloud scenario and you can't, you know, authenticate using Google IAM, because you're running an Amazon or something like that, you can just issue a link to the other application that handles that for you. It's it's I I'm for this. I like this. I could use this. All right. And then how about this last one? <laughs> Uniform bucket level access for cloud IAM, which allows you to apply access policies by role to cloud storage users along with other Google products. The new uniform bucket level access features lets you uniformly configure access through cloud IAM policies to your cloud storage resources, allowing for manageability at scale. I'm so glad Justin completely ignores what you say, Ryan, as well as me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think it's cool, I'm I'm all for you. Like, you go POC that up, my friend. It's already built into two of my products in in Amazon. You just it's just called by a different name. So. Yeah, I mean, and the, the, that's the thing is, it just it sort of makes me laugh when I see these press releases from Asia and Google, and they're announcing something they think is amazing, and you're like, well. That was on Azure for a while, or on AWS for a while, or on you know, the other provider, and then you know, they act like they've invented the new future, and you're like, "But this is already invented." Mm. Is, it, is it just coincidence that, that GCP are on V4 of their um, their signature support, and so are AWS? Like they've been in it for so many different numbers of years, but they're both on V4. It's like, eh, okay, no marketing stuff going on here at all. Not at all. It's Come also on. interesting how uh, 
uh, IIM continues to be a struggle for all the cloud providers because it's hard. But yeah, it least, is. These privileges is difficult, uh, but you know, they continue to make improvements. Uh, another great feature, if you are on the Google world, is the new Recommenders. Uh, recommenders is a terrible name. I recommend they change it immediately. Uh, but Recommenders make insightful suggestions to help improve security. Right-size VMs provide fire recommendations and IAM modifications, uh, all centralized into a recommendation hub, which is a vital to bring all of these optimizations efforts together for you to see and take action on. And the ones that are available to you today are instance recommendations for right-sizing for cost and performance. Uh, identifying and deleting or backing up your unused VMs and persistent disks, uh, firewall insights uh, for shadowed rules, uh, unnecessary allow rules to open ports and IP addresses, sudden hit increases in firewall traffic, redundant rules, and deny firewall rules hit with hit counts that sources trying to access unauthorized IP ranges and pools. There's also an IAM recommender to remove unwanted access to Google Cloud resources with smart access control recommendations. And then they have some new ones coming down the pipe here very soon, including a compute engine cross-family uh, recommendations. Committed use discount maximizer, uh, Google Compute uh, Kubernetes Engine RBAC, security keys, compute engine predictive autoscaling, and VPN tunneling. Uh, so when you go through this list of recommenders, you kind of realize that this is like a bit of Amazon Config, a bit of Trusted Advisor, a bit of a couple other tools as well, all rolled into one recommender. And I still recommend they change the name. <laughs> yeah. You're still not getting a lightning round point, no matter how many times you say the same joke. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's on the lightning round. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I chose to put the topic here. So, yeah. Yep. You should have it is it. sort of passive. I like the, yeah. excuse me, sir, you've left yourself wide open to a breach. <laughs> I recommend you fix it. Yeah. <laughs> is it and, then just, they, and then they get to court and they're like, well, we did recommend they fix it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't, isn't it just indicative that IM is just too complex to begin with, though? Oh, for sure. I mean, that, that was what we just talked about. Yeah. IM is hard. Uh, and so you know, now you get a recommender. At least they didn't go the Azure path where they automatically remove things. They, so they right. recommend they remove them versus automatically doing it. So, I mean, I, pr- I appreciate that's just a recommendation. Well, I get that it's hard. I still do think that the, the alternative is the high-walled fortress that of data center days. And so, like, I'm, I'm willing to struggle through this no matter how annoying it is. It's very annoying just so that we can get to the, the levels of autonomy and automation that we need to get to. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the CloudPod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Uh, well, this third, this last story for Google, uh, they hit the hat trick. This is the third feature that they are announcing that someone else already has. So congratulations, Google. <laughs> this is the Google has built a new updated compliance resource center. Uh, this provides you on-demand access to helpful resources to support your compliance efforts, verify technical compliance and control requirements, and help you understand region and industry-specific regulations. And the Compliance Research Center can help you do things like learn about this industry compliance for retail, education, media, entertainment, and many more. Quickly download compliance evidence via the Compliance Reports Manager. 
which provides access to documentation such as their ISO and IEC certificates, SOC reports, and more. Obtain an insider view into Google Cloud security risks, compliance, and practices or data protection and compliance page, and get answers to all your frequently asked questions about things as exciting as FIPS 140-2 and FedRAMP. And all available to you through the Compliance Resource Center, which sounds a lot like Artifact. Because <laughs> it's exactly Artifact. And if it was yep, next week, I'd have a joke about you know Google releasing Artifact while Amazon is releasing their second Artifact. Yeah, so that so I think that completes the hat trick for Google this week. They uh, they had a lot of Me Too uh, announcements this week. Uh, this was in Detroit, and we were at a hockey game. I throw an octopus on the ice and call it a day. <laughs> If you're an all-in on Google platform type company, though, you're so happy when each one of oh, these sure. features are announced. <laughs> and it's the kind of thing, you know, is being a predominantly Amazon guy, although I have some dabbled in Google and I've dabbled in Azure. Uh, you know, I, I have to remember all the time that, you know, these things are new to the people who are all in on Google or all in Azure. Yep. And it's these little gotchas that will prevent, you know, like if you have a workload that makes sense on one cloud provider or the other and you have you know you're starting off in one it's the little the little things like that that'll needle up that'll prevent you from actually being able to take take advantage of that flexibility yeah well i think you know if we look at what google's doing they're trying to clear the decks for whatever they're going to announce at google cloud next digital whatever they call that conference uh their online thing it's happening in the you know and july time frame so they're trying to start clear the decks on some of these more itty bitty announcements and such which will happen over the next few weeks but uh, so I start to see a lot more of these kind of like very small, you know, in the biggest picture of cloud, but very big to cloud, uh, Google cloud customers. And so, you know, for all our Google cloud listeners out there, I'm super happy you got these features. You're welcome. And let's move on to the lightning round, Peter. Azure DevOps services now simplifies Azure artifacts integration with other services. I mean, where else would you want to use an artifact other than in DevOps services? I'm so glad they made that connection. Sounds like an insult. You're such an artifact. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be nearly as funny without the accent. <laughs> <laughs> AWS Shield Advanced now supports proactive response to events. Call me. So, very- so what was I paying for with Shield Advanced before? Because wasn't that the whole point? Was it was proactive DDoS protection? Well, now they call you. Now they call. <laughs> oh, now they call me. Thanks. With Chime, fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Alexa for Business is now available on life-size icon meeting room systems. I was disappointed this wasn't a life-size Alexa robot announcement. Ooh. Yeah, you know that giant Echo device they had at the reInvent conference for years? All this is is trying to figure out a use for that. CloudWatch Application Insights now supports MySQL, Amazon DynamoDB, custom logs, and more. So we can now finally officially blame the database team and prove it. (laughs) <laughs> so not only do you have to prove it, but with insights, Amazon will prove it for you. Exactly. Yes. Amazon Aurora Postgres global database supports managed recovery point objectives. All for the low, low price of up to eight global Postgres databases being replicated and all the network traffic to do it. You're welcome. Hey, the business guy's happy, right? Till he gets the bill. Till he gets the bill. <laughs> AWS Elastic Beanstalk announces general availability of Amazon Linux 2-based Tomcat platforms. And here begins the long death march to Amazon Linux retirement in December. And we'll now see these announcements for every service for the next six months. And this will be the last time we mention the new things on Amazon Linux 2 because we will bore all of the listeners forever. You don't want to go into an in-depth discussion about the support model they're, they're rolling out for Amazon Linux 1 and how they're 
changing the time scale. Uh, I've already lost you. Never mind. Yeah, we we talked about it on the show, I think, but I I, I might have you know phased out during talking about it. But yeah, I think we covered that already. <laughs> Titan S3 permissions for your IAM users and roles using access history of S3 actions. See, now no one can tell that I'm not doing anything. <laughs> Isn't too late by that time, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was my point. <laughs> hey, look, this this weird IP from Iran just downloaded all of our bucket. Fantastic. Tighten the permissions. Uh, so uh, mid mid lightning round, Peter's internet has uh, gone to kaput, which is just a, a sign to show you that Google Fiber isn't that great. Um, the Google Global Network is a lie. Everything you've heard about it being awesome and amazing from Peter, he's just been proven wrong because in the middle of the, po- of the podcast recording, his internet is down and he's not coming back. So, And if he was right, he'd be here to defend himself. That's right. If he was If he was passionate about this, he'd be here. So, you know, it is what it is. We're going to move on. We're going to take it as it comes. So Titan S3 permissions for your IAM users and roles using access history of S3 actions. So now it'll be provable that I actually don't do a thing because you can see that I don't actually access any of these things. It's like a, a day late, a dollar short. Yes, <laughs> Iran just downloaded all of your bucket. You should probably close those permissions down. Oop, yep. Database activity streams now available for Aurora with MySQL compatibility. Do we get to make you say that to the end of time now? Because that would make me happy. You can. (laughs) (laughs) Database activity streams, something that I know is in my future someday, but I don't know how to deal with it yet. They're they're called logs, except now we do other interesting things with them, so now they're called streams. Yeah, because we dump them onto Kafka, and then we put them there, and we replicate them to other regions, and then we say, this is now our new HA solution, because the native HA solution isn't good enough. Announcing cross-cluster search support for Amazon Elasticsearch Service. Yeah, see, this one wasn't worthy even to make it into the main show, but this is the third uh, Elasticsearch feature for you. Uh, and, you know, because cross-clusters is just expensive, and I said, no, go to the lightning round. Fair. Although with uh, with that new uh, Ultra Warm, which every time I say that, I think about, you know, someone putting your hand in a, a bottle of water, you know, a bowl of water while you're sleeping. While you're sleeping, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all I can Every time Ultra Warm, that's all I can think of, sorry. Uh, but Ultra Warm... Uh, with that and an active cluster, I can see why cross-cluster search is, a, is kind of important. But again, not lightning around is where it ended up. Yeah. Do you ship all your hot indexes to a separate cluster? I thought that was an anti-pattern. I don't know. I'm not an Elasticsearch expert. Only when they're cold. <laughs> or yeah. warm. Ultra warm. You're right. It sounds, like, it sounds like some kind of personal lubricant with pepper spray in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They have they have warming lubes that are sort of like that. Well, they do. Amazon show boys. It's a family show. <laughs> Sorry, AWS CloudFormation resource import now supports CloudFormation registry types. Oh yeah, like I'm supposed to make a funny joke after the the ultra warm conversation we just had. <laughs> oh god, we only have like six more of these to go. And oh really? Six? We don't, we don't have Peter to keep us out of out of the rat hole. One. AWS Deep Composer adds a new generative AI algorithm that allows developers to generate music in a style of Bach. I just say that Deep Composer has gotten more development in the last six months than all of RoboCars have made the entire time. The Deep Racer has gotten less development time than Deep Composer, for sure. It's really hard to run one of those race courses in your in your apartment, so but it's really easy to to program against a, a, a high scale MIDI keyboard. <laughs> You know where Mozart killed his chickens? Because they kept saying, back, back, back. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is me applauding to the audience at home. Very nice, very nice. AWS Config supports nine new managed rules. 
telling you exciting things like your RDS snapshots aren't encrypted, SNS isn't encrypted, and your Redshift cluster doesn't use TLS. I'm starting to get kind of mad at Amazon about this. So you're going to you're gonna barely add the feature for TLS and encryption, and then you're going to bitch about it to me and config? Come on. Like, I lived with you not having this for six years, and now you're going you're gonna to rat me out like this? Come on, Amazon. Encrypt everything, because we don't. <laughs> Announcing storage controls for schemas in Amazon Redshift. Again, smells like a snowflake thing. Maybe, maybe they're coming out with a BigQuery killer. Maybe they're going to go after BigQuery. Maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe Snow is not the target. Maybe it's all BigQuery. Nah, there's too many serverless breadcrumbs. Well, but BigQuery is serverless. That's yeah. It is. That's, that's implementation true. though. Yeah, that's mm. fair. We moved this down here. We did. We yeah. Did, yeah. Was that a joke? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my only comment for Lightning Rap. Poor Jonathan has to edit all this. Something sense. Who's reading? Who's reading this last one? Am I reading the last one? Didn't I just read one? Yes. Uh, no, Jonathan just read config, and then you read or uh, you read deep composer. Yes, yeah, so it's me. Sorry. It was achieved its first PCI 3ds 3ds attestation, telling me that Nintendo is now in the building. <laughs> I'm getting a headache just looking at this thing. <laughs> I got I got a headache researching the PCI compliance rules. That this actually because I had to learn a thing and I can't just let things be. And I know it exists, so and I know enough to kill a conversation about it. Well, uh, you know, because Google or Google Fiber let Peter down, uh, I did. You know, he texted us and said his internet was down. He rooted his router. And then I, I texted him and said, "So, you know, of the lightning round you were here for, who won?" And he he gave it to me with Shield. I have a text to prove it. <laughs> I said the one I he laughed know. about. I don't know. Now, now that I'm officially <laughs> being scored, uh... <laughs> so votes... or we just call it, a, or we just call it technicality and say, hey, "Screw it, we're not scoring it." It's votes fine. for the chicken, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Back, back, back. All right, guys. Well, you won't score. That's it's not fair to do that. Peter's not here to to give us wisdom, but I did try. I did try. As you see. Well, guys, uh, that's another fantastic week here in the cloud. And uh, because we record this on Thursday, we have a preview of what's coming on Wednesday or what got announced yesterday after the uh, cutoff. So we have something fun to talk about next week. So come back next week to talk about artifacts. Later. Have a good night. See you. Good night. Good night, everyone. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. (laughs) 